Welcome to the Richard Roper Show. I am indeed Richard Roper. Thanks to everybody who's been listening to the podcast, telling friends about the podcast, subscribing to the podcast, where you can find it on all those platforms where podcasts are available. We got a very special guest joining us in just one moment, but I want to remind you, first of all, the Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, and digital marketing to drive your overall business's success. Because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. Visit AmericanEagle.com to get started today. All right, I'm really excited about this, guys. We've talked so much about anniversaries of movies on this show, and the 1990s are a decade that just always keep coming up. And my friend Matt Pace has written a book called Talk 90s With Me, 23 Unpredictable Conversations with Stars of an Unforgettable Decade, and he joins us right now. Hello, Matt. Hey, Richard. It's so great to have you here. You know, you uh, followed the the classic uh, book rule. You have to have a title, and then you have to have that cool subtitle, letting people <laughs> know more, right? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Well, you did a great job. And, and for folks who don't know, uh, Matt, you were the film critic uh, for the Chicago Tribune for years. You've written about movies and pop culture across a bunch of different platforms. That's right. I spent 11 years as the critic for Red Eye. And a couple of years ago, I wrote a statistical analysis of Say by the Bell. And I thought, while I'm hanging out in the 90s, uh, why don't I tackle another project that is even more uh, driven by there were some interviews uh, towards the end of that book, but this is all interviews, and I'm so proud and excited about the conversations that resulted. Well, Matt, that's what I found. First of all, you're a terrific writer and a great interviewer. You always have been. Uh, so to, you know, it, the book is such a great, breezy read, but it's also, there's a lot of poignant moments here. And what I found interesting is that you're not just revisiting these movies and talking about why they meant so much to you, but you actually sat down with nearly two dozen different actors who were in those movies and some of them uh, have gone on to long and illustrious careers others not so much so i guess i want to start by asking you like why did you pick this particular decade to write about and to talk about that's a great question richard and it's really because the 90s are the decade when i first became excited about pop culture and there were so we we know we could talk all day, even though we already know about how different things were in the 90s versus now in terms of what was being made. So it's it's no challenge to think of the things that I saw as a kid that had such a big impact on me. And some of those properties are the things that are coming back now or still being discussed now, whether it's Jurassic Park or Boy Meets World or something like that. But it's also little movies like Little Big League or something like that, which is sort of perpetually underrated and still beloved because, I mean, I part of this is interesting to me because now I'm thinking about what, what my own children will grow up watching and what, what I'll introduce them to and that sort of thing. But I feel like it was so much easier to have your own personal favorites when I was a kid based on the things that were coming out in the 90s. And it's not as if there isn't, some variety now some things are still being made of course but now i just i imagine kids hanging out and saying what's your favorite movie oh really four or five 
I love Thor 5 too. <laughs> yeah. Where, like, yeah. instead of, I was just talking to someone a couple of days ago and he was said his favorite movie growing up was Ace Ventura. And, you know, that's, that's great that that's what he loved as a kid. And what people love sometimes says something about them and sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. But just having that material out there yeah. uh, is so important. And I love revisiting that and taking the conversation deeper about it. Well, I'm, a, I'm like a, basically a generation older than you. So I, I can relate in the fact that like, you know, the 1970s were the, that was the decade when I was, you know, I was 14 when The Godfather came out. I was a high schooler when, you know, movies like Exorcist and Jaws and then of course Star Wars. So I think it's also about where you are in your life when you first fall in love with the movies. I also, I think Matt, you know, the 90s resonate with, with even people who were basically born in 1990, uh, you know, and watched them later on because that's also the last decade. You mentioned Thor, and that's really really the last decade before the domination of superhero movies because the Spider-Man franchise and everything else in the early 2000s, and it has definitely reshaped movies. Obviously, there were franchises in the 90s and sequels and remakes, but a lot more, I think, original films, whether they were goofy movies or, or even something like Body Snatchers, which we're going to talk about in a second, which was, of course, a remake of the 50s film. But I think that's another reason why, you know, almost every weekend when you look at like, you know, like you look at movies that came out in the 90s, almost every weekend there were four or five original films that were coming out. I want to ask you a little bit about um, these interviews. Were there certain actors that you approached who turned you down because they don't want to be pigeonholed by the roles that made them famous in the 1990s? Certainly. I, I was extremely surprised throughout the process, both of who said yes and who said no. I mean, sometimes mm -hmm. I would go out after a long shot and wasn't surprised when they weren't available, but sometimes I would go after someone that I thought would be thrilled to be asked for an interview and it was no go whatsoever. But I mean, ultimately the way that the book came together, it was, it was really important to me to focus on movies that I thought were still worth discussing and had kind of stones unturned about people whose performances were worth celebrating and there was something still to talk about there. And then actors who they interested me as people. I think there's definitely a way to do, with, with no shortage of material, there's a way to do this book where you focus on maybe things that weren't so good and people that aren't so beloved or underrated and you wind up uh, doing something that has a more negative spin. This is very much a celebration of the era, the movies, the shows, and the people involved, while also being willing to take a modern perspective and, and look at things differently while sort of understanding what was on people's minds then, how do we see it now, and, and that's okay. Things have changed a lot since then. That's a good thing. One of the things I appreciate, but again, folks, uh, this is Matt Pace, and the book is called Talk 90s with Me, 23 Unpredictable Conversations with Stars of an Unforgettable Decade. And as you were mentioned, there, there's nothing condescending about your approach here. You know, a lot of times when people look back at things, and also I really appreciated that the interviews were in-depth. A lot of times when it's the 23rd or the 50th or 35th anniversary of a film, you know, we'll see these celebratory pieces, and whether it's a magazine or now more often online, it's always like, whatever happened to dot, dot, dot. And they revisit some actor or actress and they ask five questions like, so what have you been up to since 1996? And it just feels a little bit like they're almost poking fun at them. And I want to continue here and talk about uh, some of the specific interviews. And I want to ask you about Gabrielle Anwar. Let's take a listen to a clip from Gabrielle Anwar in Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino. Would you like to learn to tango, Donna? Right now? I'm offering you my services. Free of charge. What do you say? 
I think I'd be a little afraid. Of what? Afraid of making a mistake. No mistakes in the tango, Donna. Not like life. Simple. That's what makes the tango so great. If you make a mistake, you get all tangled up. You just tangle on. Why don't you try it? We try it? All right, I'll give it a try. Now, Matt, this is a fascinating conversation because, as you point out in the book, uh, Gabrielle Anwar, for a while there, was right on the same career trajectory as Jennifer Connelly. Uh, Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken, Scent of a Woman, For Love or Money, Three Musketeers, Body Snatchers, which I mentioned, which I think is which is an actually, I think was it maybe the third of the Body Snatchers movies. There was Invasion of. But she was terrific. And, oh, my God, she still is, you know, uh, movie star, gorgeous. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, talking with her? Because she has gone on, correct? She's still doing a lot of work. Absolutely. And yeah, her career is fascinating. And she's actually a great example of someone that I sort of, when I was growing up at that time, I knew of who she was and I was exposed to her as like a famous actress that everyone was talking about, but I really mm -hmm. didn't have a ton of familiarity. Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken, I hadn't seen mm -hmm. until preparing for the interview with her. Um, but the notion that she had a great, great, like first half to two thirds of the 90s, and then did a whole lot of things after that, that if you look on Tubi or any apps like that, you'll be amazed at these random titles you've never heard of that she did, and then wound up coming back with a series like Burn Notice and doing some other uh, TV roles. And I mean, I, I'm so thankful for all the conversations I got to have, but uh, she definitely stands out as one of the strongest personalities as far as like right off the bat, you got a sense of who she was, not holding back about anything. And, and like you said, being able to have as much time as I had with these people, the conversations averaged about 60 to 75 minutes, somewhere as long as an hour and 45. And while I loved every, every opportunity I had uh, years ago with Red Eye, with the 15 to 20 minute junkets mm -hmm. in the hotel rooms, that's a lot different of a rhythm. As, as I know, you know, when, when you have a limited time uh, with someone, when you have an hour on the phone, I, I have in the materials about the book that, it's intended to feel like, you know, getting a drink with someone or the kind of long conversation that people had a lot more in the 90s, but probably don't really have much now. And I'm proud and thankful for the intimacy that came out because I, I, I know you, you can probably attest to this. An interview subject can tell when you're coming from a place of curiosity and yeah. empathy, and that allows it to keep going. If you have a good first couple of minutes and just keep it going, boom, all of a sudden an hour has passed and you've got all this great material. So nothing, none of these conversations started with any agreement of how long it was going to be. They just unfolded in a really beautiful way. And that's where the preparation comes into, which is one of my favorite parts. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that uh, about the interviews and this is kind of going behind the curtain, but our, our listeners get this. Um, you see a lot of these interviews now, and Matt, as you talked about, you know, there's the junkets, and a lot of times now they're virtual, even though there's more in-person stuff. And I've actually gotten to the point where I've said with all great respect, I'm not doing 10-minute interviews anymore. I just don't feel like you can get anything really good. And I think, you know, there's a lot of really good TV and online reporters who know how to get right to it, and they get four, you know, four questions in, and they obviously they want to make a little bit of a headline and ask Olivia Wilde about something and, you know, maybe make some news. But I feel like I want to talk about the work and I can't do it in 10 minutes. So my rule now is no matter who it is, 
I got to have at least a half hour because I feel the same way. And you do this in every single one of these interviews. I want to ask you too, because you start off, I believe every interview by asking, instead of asking them about their work immediately, but you say, what's the question you ask to start off every interview? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up, Richard. I wanted to start each of these conversations with the subject's own nostalgia, asking yeah. them what they miss from the 90s and also a movie or a show that they really loved then or keep coming back to now. And nostalgia, for obvious reasons, just has, has a lot of warmth to it. So I think starting things off that way put people in a good place. A lot of people miss the days before social media and yeah, <laughs> the internet, yeah. that's for sure. But it's great, you know, that, that question, what's something you feel nostalgic about from the 1990s? And some of them immediately t are very frank in saying, well, I miss being that young. You know? <laughs> uh, but they also have their own appreciation of the pop culture. It's always great to hear actors not only talk about their own work, but about the movies that influenced them or, you know, the, the other actors they loved. Uh, the book is called Talk 90s with me. Matt Pace is the author. It's available everywhere now, Matt. You can go to the Amazon and all that kind of great stuff. Yeah, hardcover, paperback, ebook. Uh, anywhere you're you're looking for it, it should be there. So uh, I'm really excited about it, really proud of it, and so thankful for all your support, Richard. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then I want to come back and ask you about a couple more of these interviews. We'll be right back. Let me tell you about our friends at Portillo's, the finest fast casual experience you're going to have in all of dining. Portillo's. You know, not just hot dogs. Well, you know, when it started in Chicago, people were like, oh, it's a hot dog shop. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. We got we got Italian beef? Wait. We got Italian sausage? Wait. You got chocolate cake? <laughs> nice. Oh, man. It's just uh, it's just one of the great experiences you can have. And I, I think I just said this a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. If you live somewhere where Portillo's is new, in California, Arizona, parts of Florida, check it out. Go. Have the chocolate cake. You get a little slice of home if you're from the Midwest, you're from Chicago, or you're from the East Coast too, because you know that that food will be very familiar to you as street food. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, ah, oh, you know, am I gonna, you know, it's gonna be so heavy. It's not. Mm. And can I just tell you something? Mm. The best thing about Portillo's mm. is that bun that they put the Italian beef on yeah, yeah. that you get now when you get that dipped and it gets all wet. Yeah. That is the perfect piece of bread. Mm -hmm. And, you know, carbs be damned. You can do it once a month. You're sure. not going to hurt anything. You'll be fine. Portillos.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S is how you spell that. Portillos.com. Find a store near you or order online. And you can get it anywhere in the United States of America. Portillos.com. Oneidos. That's the wonders. One, two, three, four. Yeah. That's too fast, guys. Slow down. Come on. Come on. Slow down. Too fast. Slow down. Oh, come on. That's too fast. That, of course, is that thing you do. Uh, I believe it was directed, Matt Pace, by a, an actor who has also done some work, if, if I recall. Is that correct? Aspiring filmmaker named Tom Hanks. Yeah. Who And boy, talk about a, a movie that feels like the persona of the, the person behind the camera, right? 
Exactly. And Tom Everett Scott, is uh, he was our romantic hero in the movie, right? And you talked to him for your book, uh, Talk 90s to Me. Can you talk a little bit about, now where is Tom Everett Scott? I got to be honest, is he still working? I don't know that much about his career after that thing you do. He's he's done a ton since then, um, but he never quite became the, the leading man that I think maybe people expected him to after being the breakout star of that film. I mean, he did a couple of movies after that, like in a, an American werewolf in Paris and uh, dead man on campus. Um, and somehow those didn't turn so much know. death after. Well, and I felt that he was cast <laughs> as you mentioned, cause that was such a personal film for Tom Hanks that he was kind of the Tom Hanks doppelganger that, you know, Very he was, so. he had yeah. that every, you know, he was handsome, but in an accessible way, he was funny. He was charming, you know, somebody that the girls would say, Oh, I could see having a crush on him. And the guys would be, the guys could have a crush on them, of course, or, you know, you want to be friends with them. So he did have that everyman persona, but what happened there? Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and he was very honest uh, about talking about those leading roles that he took afterwards and what he might have done differently again. But some people also, it's easy for Hollywood, um, people on the inside or people uh, looking in to just assume anyone who is sort of the breakout star of something is automatically a leading actor, a leading actress. But he can also... You know, not long after that, he had a great supporting part in Boiler Room that really showed his range. Yeah, that's right. Uh, he that's has right. a small part in La La Land um, as well. So it was great to talk about an element uh, linking that thing you do and La La Land that, that he had never thought about before. And and just the the warmth that he still has for that thing you do and the experience and also just being able to talk honestly. Because to your question, he's, he's still working and has done so much in the last 25 years but the fact that you need to ask about it goes to show you something that that nothing really hit the way that that did but but so many of these interview subjects i think were able to because so much time has passed able to come at their past work and their current perspective really from just kind of an honest reflection of one's own life as silly as that sounds you know normally when you talk about something that someone is doing now you hope that you can just have a natural person to person conversation, but they're still promoting it as a performer. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I think the intent and, and hopefully the, the success of the book is just an intimate conversation with uh, another person who happens to be uh, an actor or actress who was involved in this really impactful stuff from the 90s. Well, it's interesting because as you touched on, there always seems to be this kind of love hate when an actor is you know, associated with one particular role, even someone like I'm sure you've heard this story. Uh, Kevin Bacon talks about how, you know, in Footloose, of course, is an 80s movie, but, and you look at the body of work, the guy, you know, he's six degrees, he's the guy that's in everything, and I remember him, uh, I think, telling Howard Stern years ago that when he'd go to a wedding, he'd give like 100 bucks to the DJ not to play Footloose, just, come on, don't play it, or Billy Joel would talk about how every time he'd walk into a hotel bar, the piano player would start playing Piano Man, <laughs> uh, you know, so, and I think in a lot of these cases, because enough time has passed, they've come to appreciate, hey, listen, even if you do one thing, 99% of the actors out there never get a chance to have that one role that lives on, uh, which brings me to uh, Shannon Elizabeth. Let's take a listen to a clip from American Pie. I, uh, I guess that just leaves Jim trailing. Ah, <laughs> Jimbo. Better sack up, buddy. Yeah, I know. I'm working on it, all right? James, you're very good in the world history class, yes? Me? Yeah, yes. No, uh, yes, I am. Perhaps you could help me with my studies. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that would be, that would be uh, great sometime. How about tomorrow? Well, I have ballet practice. Perhaps, um, I could come by your house afterwards? I could change clothes at your place. 
uh, yeah, of, of, I suppose that would be okay. Now, you know, Shannon Elizabeth, I'm still not quite sure what that accent was, but it was fantastic. I don't care, you know. Uh, and that has been, uh, you know, a role that, and she's, again, she's done different things. I actually know her a little bit from how good of a poker player she is. She's played in a lot of poker tournaments. But how does she feel about the fact that people are probably still bringing up that movie to her 20-some years after the fact? Yeah, well, you're not alone in not knowing what that accent was. It seems like that was by design. I don't think they wanted anyone to know where that was from. It was from <laughs> nowhere specific. Um, she was but, from male fantasy land. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, admittedly, as I said, I, I approached all of these conversations and all of this work wanting to talk about it in a new way and, and appreciate it for what it was. But there were a couple that, needed to be seen with new eyes. And certainly American Pie is an example of that. And I think Shannon Elizabeth did a great job of acknowledging the place that she was at at that time mm. and the mindset of the movie then. And that, you know, I, I was asking questions about sort of, you know, do, do movies about people in high school sort of say something about where the country is at at that time, where, where um, kids' heads are at then? Because, you know, American Pie had a very specific tone. Mm -hmm. And then eight years after that, we had Superbad. And then, you know, fast forward a decade and we're getting book smart. And the types of movies about teenagers are changing a lot, which is a good yeah, thing. Very true. Um, and she was really coming at it, understandably, from a perspective of we weren't trying to ask any questions about anything. It was just meant to be a, a fun movie. And when you look at it sort of in the context of, of everything, it, even though it came out in 99, it seems so much more reminiscent of sort of the 80s comedies. Yeah, uh, for sure. With a little, with maybe a little dose of There's Something About Mary, which made such a splash a couple of years before then. But um, I'm glad that there were a couple moments within the book that we could look at things that it would, it would be strange not to take a deep breath and be able to say, and be honest, hey, I remember laughing incredibly hard in the theater when I saw that movie, when it came out. Absolutely, it doesn't take anything away from that. But that was a long time ago. I can still have some new thoughts about that and advance the conversation in a kind of respectful and fun way. You know, that's a great point, Matt, because I think we all wrestle with this. You know, you go back and even like, you know, John Hughes, who had such a sensitive uh, ear for teen dialogue and it was inclusive, but he was inclusive in a white North Shore suburban way. And there's homophobic humor sometimes, and, you know, there's certainly in 16 Candles, uh, you, know, uh, you know, racial stereotypes. And, yeah, it's not good, but it's also reflective of what was going on in the 80s and the 90s. So, you know, to me, it's like I know sometimes you'll hear people talk about, well, they should cut that scene out of a film or they should, you know, do this or that. Or you know, I feel like, you know, they stand as a reflection of the time, you know, the good and the bad. And American Pie, I think, is a, is a classic example of that. Uh, I want to ask you also about Karen Parsons, who I always thought, who is, again, had a very good career, but I feel almost could have been a bigger star. And I feel, you know, came up at a time where there weren't as many opportunities uh, for women of color as there are now. Uh, tell people a little bit about uh, what Karen Parsons has done through the years, man. Definitely. And I, th I think she's such a good example of someone who is definitely defined by one role, but that is not her fault <laughs> by any means. She was really fantastic as Hilary Banks on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And mm -hmm. she appeared in a couple movies. She, she was in Major Pain and The Ladies' Man. And both of those are very silly. And I really, really appreciated her insight about the types of characters that she had to play in movies like that and what the role is when 
the main character, the the man in those movies is just a totally ridiculous person. And in real life, you you sit, you watch that movie and you're just like, would she really be interested in him? I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure about that. So, you know, hindsight is so profound. And she, she like so many of the, the interview subjects, was really grateful, but also um, thoughtful about kind of the trajectory of her career, all the things that changed because of the roles that she was or wasn't offered you know, talking about the impact of on Fresh Prince of, of not having a Black writing staff and the way mm. that the cast would bring up anything that didn't quite sound right to them. So, you know, I didn't want this to be kind of heavy hitting on every single page, but it's also meant to tackle things that are are necessary to to think about, about these people and these movies and shows. So hopefully it strikes the right balance of, you know, I, I keep saying thought provoking and fun, but that's, that's the combo. That's what we're going for here. And that's what you got, Matt. I want to thank you so much again, folks talk nineties with me, 23 unpredictable conversations with stars of an unforgettable decade. Matt Pace is the author. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you and I get a chance to talk again soon, my friend. Thanks so much, Richard. Sounds great. <laughs>